It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the adhesive tape holding together John Jones' toes, Nick John Braccio the third. It is good to be on with you. We're going to talk about UFC 265 and everything that went down last weekend. And we're going to talk about this upcoming UFC fight night where Devashvili gets the big break against former champion Piotr Yan. Nikolai, give me your impressions of that last week's card, man. John Jones came through strong. He did, but my impressions are that you haven't won a card against me since, like, January. Still in the lead, boy! Yeah, by, like, a, what, a point? Two points, maybe? Three in a, three weeks in a row, I'm just tenderizing you. Poop, pop, 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 pop. Still in the lead. Let's go, Nick. No, it, it's true. You are itching closer. I think we were, like, seven or eight points apart at some point, and you brought it close. Now we're within two points. I'm only two points ahead. Um, and we're going to see what happens at the end of this card, man. Was, There's definitely some opportunities here. Man, I was 6-0. and oh. I was six and zero going into that the Jalen Turner, yeah, Gamrot fight, and I had an underdog pick there. I picked Turner, which would have given me eight points for the event. Yeah, no one, no big. one's ever had an, no one's ever had an eight zero uh, run. I was like, man, it was so close. Anyway, still, it was. Uh, it was nice to have all my fights over by the time the co-main event and the main happened. Yeah, right. Take, um, take all can, the stress I can just, out. And then, I can just enjoy them. Yeah, and then the major upset in the Valentina Shevchenko matchup. And you lost And you lost both of those. I know. Isn't that, <laughs> I went for the two-point pick on Cyril Gaon, even though I gave the edge to John Jones, all else being equal. Two points was hard to resist. Um, and, and that's the thing. I guess we can dive into the main event, right? John Jones came in looking like the guy that beat Machida, the guy that beat Shogun back in the day. We're talking about like 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago. Um, and uh, more like 12 years ago, maybe in some cases, right? And he came in here and he just ran through Cyril Gaon. He put the pressure on him right away. He landed a clean right hand, looked faster than I expected him to, um, landed that right hand, and then kind of, you know, buzzed him very slightly. Cyril Gaon could take a shot, and then he went in for that clinch. Um, kind of, uh, Cyril Gaon first defended that first takedown, but then John Jones continued the onslaught, right? He didn't make it just a single takedown attempt. He went on to disrupt his balance, put some weight on him, put pressure on him against that fence, and threatened with that guillotine. And when that guillotine was threatening, Cyril Gaon made the mistake of getting up and leaving room under his uh, chin for John Jones to slip that forearm in and lock in that guillotine. And that was all she wrote, man. John Jones looked spectacular. I also think there's something to be said about we're seeing Cyril Gaon's real holes, right, in his last two fights. He's got he's got some strongholds. He's got some mental some mental lapses. He's got um, a fight IQ issue, and that's due, due to a lack of experience because he seems like a relatively smart guy. Um, but insane performance by John Jones, which was helped by the fact that Cyril Gaon is just not really all there like we hoped that he would be. But uh, but really good work by John Jones. And listen, it turns out John Jones started out as a plus one fifty underdog in this matchup, and the the line swung the other way. But man, was that an opportunity! I actually got him at plus one thirty, but I only put like fifty bucks on that because it was hard to be confident. I just figured out plus money with John Jones, it's probably going to swing the other way. Um, and then I did end up I did end up hedging with Cyril Gaon a little bit. Um, this is this was fascinating stuff, man. I also put some money on Valentina Shevchenko by decision. That didn't pan out for me, as you know. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are Jones um, looked like a sinister killer. Like he, I mean, the takedown was a little sloppy. I wouldn't say that. F- I was more surprised by how 
out of sorts and unbalanced gone seemed. Um, Jones was Jones was opportunistic. He was mean. He like no nobody fights or pursues finishes like like John Jones. He doesn't fight like someone who's high fiving or nodding to a guy after contact. He seems like the sport he's the sport John Jones is playing when he's in this mood is death. Yeah, and he's like, and he's just. He's like the let the ref. I am going to like the eyes roll in the back of his head. He becomes this fucking savage, and um, he's like let the referee keep him alive. And like, yeah, he just goes in and gets these chokes at weird angles. And it was uh, it was vintage. It does make me think that he was bored um, with his challenges for a while. And he does, you know, he John Jones fighting Anthony Smith, Santos Reyes. It's like. It's kind of like me with Wordle. Like I don't, I don't use the starter. I don't use the starter words that everybody else uses. I type some weird shit in there to see to see if like it, can I get it in three or four words, starting from like some awkward word. I don't like you know. John Jones gives himself weird challenges, um, and he go he goes into fights, you know, to with ideas around around what he wants to do because he's kind of playing, and he did not play with his food against gone he just went in there and killed him i think i think i'm not that excited to be honest about a stipe miocic fight i don't think it's going to be that competitive uh yeah i mean stipe at this point in his career is really the big thing but again like there's a big difference between stipe and nganu and cyril gone right like stipe and nganu have the maturity they have the mental wherewithal to to stay in the moment and to stay focused and to do their damnedest um, to, to, to actually take advantage of their full breadth of skills. And they have really well-rounded skills. Like you're right that John Jones could possibly outstrike Stipe um, if only outscore him on points, right? There's a chance to get hurt Stipe since he's bigger. Now I talked about how the only area that I see has more muscle on John Jones. It seems like his glutes, his legs are a little thicker, his upper legs. And that if you're using your technique, right, that will add power into your punches, right? So, He's always had power in his kicks, just like everyone else does. But the fact that the fact that uh, he might be hitting harder is another point in his advantage. The fact that Stipe is up there in age, the fact that he's up there in miles taken. And granted, Stipe's had a, a shorter UFC career than John Jones, right? Which is part of what makes John Jones so amazing. The fact that he's been doing this for 12 years, and I mean at the championship level, he's got 15 uh, title fight wins at this point, man. Like to to compare his resume to anyone is tough. The only thing that's hampering his resume. Besides that, Dominic Reyes' decision that probably should have gone the other way is the fact that he has popped a couple times for for some sort of performance-enhancing drugs. And and I, I think a lot of people believe that he was willing to do that, at least at some point. Is he doing it now? Who knows? We know that John Jones has enough money to pay for the kind of performance-enhancing drugs that won't show up on a test. Uh, he probably has the connections uh, to, to be able to get that kind of thing. But he didn't look chiseled. He didn't look ripped. He looked, quite frankly, soft. He looked like he ate a bunch of rice, which he talked about eating a bunch of carbs. Um, leading into this fight over these over these three years, he didn't look like he gained a whole lot of muscle to me. And that's part of the reason I, I kind of had doubts about him. That's part of the reason I ended up hedging toward Cyril Gaon is because I thought that John Jones wasn't going to be at his best. His training partners, Jorgen DeCastro and, uh, and Maurice Green, like these are guys that washed out of the UFC that couldn't make it at the highest level. And for them to be his main training partners was also concerning to me. But then you got to counteract that with the fact that Cyril Gaon doesn't have high-level training partners at all. He doesn't have high-level coaching. He really doesn't. Like, like we could say whatever we want about Fernand, but he's not at that level. No, he needs – Cyril, Cyril Gaon needs to get 
needs to get his ass to Vegas fast. ATT, if he wants. man. Or, yeah, Vegas will work. Yeah, or Florida. Tour, There's yep. some, just somewhere. Like, because, um, yeah, ter- I mean, terrific striker, but he was just way out. He wasn't a, like, John Jones is a complete martial artist. He really is, man. And again, like, I don't know that he played with his food. I think, like, if the argument could be made that he played with his food, then he could have finished his food at any point during those five rounds in those two close fights. I think that he was unmotivated. I think uh, I think there was there was something to, like, the mental place that he was in at that time. Maybe he wasn't training hard, right? There's all these stories about him not taking opponents seriously. Maybe he wasn't training hard. Maybe he wasn't pushing himself. He talked about how he was grinding this entire camp, specifically wrestling grind, right? And man, that did that prove to be successful for him? Man, he just ran right through Sergon. I thought. I mean, I thought that that was an outcome. I think I mentioned it on the last show. Jones. I was like, I mean, I, I thought he was. I thought he would high cross him, but I was like, he's going to go across the cage, high cross him, and choke him out. Yeah, and and you know what? He basically did that. High, I'm sorry, high, high crotch him rather. Right, right. Um, um, he 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 did something similar to that, and and then and then you know we have John Jones now, who's got his first title win at heavyweight, right? If he gets, if he wins his next four fights. Presumably, as heavyweight champion, defending his title, he will have the goat, uh, the the goat kind of label locked in when it comes to heavyweight. Right, right now, Stipe Miocic has it mostly because he has three title defenses. This is why John Jones, I think, also um, was willing and wanted to fight Cyril Gane and Stipe. His logic is that if he can win more impressively against them than Ngannou did, then there's absolutely no argument that he is clearly the best heavyweight on the planet. And then if he could just defend that title a couple times after that, then he's got GOAT locked in, man, and there's no real conversation yeah, to be had. I, I mean, I think if he just beats Stipe, I don't really know what there is to do after that. But We've got we'll guys see. like guys like Curtis Blades. We've got um, Pavlovich coming up. There's there's a couple of heavyweights that are looking promising. We've got I don't, yeah, I'm I just, not saying these guys are going to I don't Jones, know but. if it is. Yeah, I just don't know if it Jones is aged. He may be coming back. This this may be closer to like GSP Bisbing. Like, I don't know how long John, John Jones wants to do this at 35 years old. That's a fair does point. Does he beat Steep A and retire? And he's like, because if he's not, if he is not motivated to defend against like challengers who are going to be treading off of his name with their victory, I don't know if he sees, I don't know if that motivates him at this point. Yeah, but we've seen that he's willing to fight through. Uh, a lack of motivation. And, like, I wonder. It's kind of like Conor McGregor. He never needs to fight again ever in his life, but he's going to take that risk, and, and he's going to keep doing it. Why? There's something about this, man. There's a feeling. There's, May- it's like Maybe. A I also I also don't see his the receipts of what him and his wife spent. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I don't know if Conor McGregor needs to fight or not. Oh, I, I, I don't know I how much money. I mean, I, I hear you, and, and he probably still makes, you know, Still makes uh, presumably between fifteen and twenty million per fight in the UFC, right? If John Jones can pull off, presumably anywhere between six and ten million for this one, you, you'd you'd assume that McGregor's making way more. Uh, Where are you getting these numbers from? Um, well, th- there's there's been talks about what McGregor could have earned uh, in that initial Ng- when talks started about Ngannou about two and a half, three years ago, or what is it? Yeah, about about two years ago. Um, there's talks about how much John Jones has made with pay-per-view buys was allegedly around six to eight million in the past, and presumably has a better contract now. Uh, whereas Conor McGregor, like I don't think he's coming into a fight for under under double-digit millions. I can't imagine that he'll accept ten million either. We're talking about with pay-per-view buys. Um, I think Conor goes in there and makes a lot more than that because he's making so much money outside of the UFC, and the UFC needs him to compete because he gets in the pay-per-view buys. He's going to get two or three times as many pay-per-view buys as John Jones on just an average uh, uh, an average pay-per-view. John Jones was averaging between like 
maybe five to seven hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand being like on the very upper end when when there's a real feud against another name. Um, but he's more around five, six hundred thousand, which is good by today's standards. Conor McGregor clears a million pay per view buys pretty consistently, more than double of what John Jones is capable of doing. Presumably, he's going to make more than double of John Jones. You know, around ten million is is how I'm looking at it. Uh, but again, none of these numbers are solid. The UFC would prefer to keep them secret for many reasons. One, because they don't want up and coming stars to see what their potential is and, and negotiate for it. And two, because uh, there are a lot of fighters that make shit money and they don't want to make that clear to people either. Um, so yeah, John Jones looked great. Um, obviously putting himself in the gold conversation seems like his legacy is one of his motivators at this point. I'm sure money is a factor as well, but he looked really good in this one. And at heavyweight where just about everybody has gaping holes, John Jones was motivated and training hard. He can take advantage of that. I'm, I'm curious to see him facing off against Stipe and a couple of the others, particularly a couple of the young guys. And hopefully those young guys will have another year, year and a half to come up and to gain that experience that they really, really will need before facing somebody like John Jones. But it's really hard knocks for Cyril Gaunt, man. This was a rough one for him. This was embarrassing. And I'm sure I'm sure he felt embarrassed. Then we got the co-main event, Nick. The biggest upset. This is crazy because we're talking about John Jones dominating Cyril Gaunt, which is, shouldn't be a huge surprise, right? Although there were questions. We had a huge upset, one of the biggest upsets, likely the biggest upset of this year. Alexa Grasso beating Valentina Shevchenko, not only beating her, but finishing her, Nick. And she finished her on the ground, where we've seen Valentina Shevchenko has weak uh, weaknesses before. And and man, did it come through here. Alexa Grasso, by the way, won that first round on all judges' scorecards. It seems like Valentina Shevchenko was not ready for that southpaw look. She was not prepared for it all. Uh, I don't know that we've seen Grasso switching stances a whole lot at all in her career. And Grasso consistently peppered her with those straight punches from distance. Shevchenko had her moments and and uh, and clinched and, and landed some distant kicks in that second and third round and won those rounds. But man, in that fourth round, Alexa Grasso put the pressure on her. Uh, it, it was it was a huge mistake by Shevchenko, as we've seen with Chris Weidman and Luke Rockhold, where Shevchenko went for a oh, yeah. back fist. Didn't need to spin, but went for it. And it seems like Grasso literally prepared for that exactly. Uh, she spinning was ready wasn't for a it. spinning bo- spinning body kick, no. I think you might be right. For some reason, I thought it was spinning back. I think you might be right. I think it was a kick, which is even I worse mean, because it leaves you on one foot, right? Yes. No, she was completely off balance. And we're just – think about Shevchenko for a second. Valentina Shevchenko, over the last seven years, has beaten – I'm sure has beaten more champions than anyone else. She has wins over Holly Holm, Juliana Pena. She had a split decision loss to Amanda Nunes. She beat Joanna Champion. She beat Jessica Andrade. She beat Jennifer Maya, an Invicta champion. Right. Like, she, again, it, it, she, has beat, she beat Sarah Kaufman in a Strikeforce champion. She has beat champions at three different weight classes, from three different weight classes, consistently. Her run has been insane. Yeah, but over the last two two and a half years, really since the Maya fight, yes, there have been you know times when she's been completely, um, you know, just destroyed her opponent like Lauren Murphy. Um, but there have been others where we start to see the game plan, the blueprint being built. There's all this tape on her. We see Jennifer Maya have some success. We see Talia Santos have some success. Um, that said, you know, Alexa Grasso is not is not a fighter uh, with terrific takedowns or trips. And she drilled and figured out a way, almost like a quick time event in a video game, to like perfectly t- uh, time a mistake. And it's, I don't know if it's replicable. I don't, 
you know, I still pick. I probably pick Shevchenko in the rematch. I'm not so sure, but um, I'm not. I'm not so sure either. But I don't think it's because Valentina um, wouldn't be ready. It's that I just think she's wearing down. Yeah, I hear that. But like, she's not. She's older. She's not as fast. She doesn't shake off punches. Gross is a very good boxer, but she's not like. She doesn't have like Nunez power. And those, no, but she, those, she's you know, faster and has better technique than Nunes. No, but those that, that one, that one, there were a couple of one twos that, that rocked Shevchenko. Um, that's not something that we're used to seeing. Even in her fights with, she looked, she looked dazed after eating a couple of one twos from Grasso, in a way that we didn't see her look dazed after eating shots from Amanda Nunes. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, that's all. I'm and, saying. and that's another so, thing that we have to factor in. You're making a great point. How long has she been doing this, man? She's been doing this for 20 years, dude. She's been a professional fighter for 20 years. At some point, man, something's got to give, right? And especially with this division being as weak as it has been, maybe it hid the fact that she was slipping even further than we realized, honestly. Um, but also, we saw that Grosso was consistently improving. She had been doing it throughout her career. And like we, we, we've seen improvements day to day, week to week almost with her, right? And and this was another this was just another jump up. She really stepped up. She was mentally ready. She had the experience. This wasn't Demetrius Johnson fighting somebody that was three fights into their UFC career. This is a girl that was there. She's been in the tough moments, she's been in the good moments, she's fought through tough moments, she's been taken down, she's been hit hard. She went through all of that stuff. So she was ready for this. And even though she got taken down in that second and third round and lost on points there. She came back in that fourth round. Oh, her will, round. yeah, her her will, her will didn't go anywhere. She was great to watch. I just, I think that you know, I I really don't believe that any fighter has a a, a back of the baseball card. I mean, maybe John Jones, but I would even suggest that a lot of a lot of Jones's hallmark victories were against guys that were past their prime. Like Shevchenko beat all of the top female champions. Except you know, except for Nunez, yeah. like in their in or around their prime, like I just can't believe that. It's, it's again, I'll say these names because it's crazy when I look at it. Home, Pena, Zia uh, Jakic, like Maya, Andraj, like it's bonkers. It really, it really is very, very impressive stuff. I mean, her resume speaks for itself. She has had a remarkable career, but this seems like this is not going to be the one loss, right? There's a strong argument to be made, and I didn't think so. I thought Shevchenko uh, edged that fight very closely, but argument to be made, she lost her last fight. She could be on a two-fight losing streak now, right, if we're, if we're looking at this at the right angle. So this is, yeah, the, the, this is not going to be the last loss of her career for a while. This is the first one, I think, uh, the first one of, of several, depending on how long she chooses to stick around. And there's also something that needs to be said about the fact that both the Shevchenko sisters have shown the weakness on the ground. If there's any place where they're weak, it's there. And... You know, like Valentina, like how much of that are you going to show up on top of the fact that you're starting to slip, that you're physically starting to deteriorate? Yeah, all on their backside, mm -hmm. on their backside, say, let's remember that Shevchenko armbarred Juliana Pena, who's like a very dedicated wrestler. Yeah. To be fair, she was losing moments of that round too. She was getting taken down. She had shown some of those weaknesses that turned out to haunt her later in her career. But again, once she really started slipping. And Grosso, again, it's like it's like the perfect storm. Grosso was at her absolute best ever. Shevchenko yep. uh, possibly at her worst in, in the last, you know, five yes. or six years. And and this all kind of combined for Grosso to pick up this win. Uh, I think Grosso probably beats in a rematch, man. Like uh, I I don't I would imagine Grosso's gonna be a decent size underdog because most people forget that Leon Edwards 
Richards won the first round very clearly against Usman. Most people forget, will forget, that Alexa Grosso won the first round against Valentina Shevchenko because the narrative seems to be Shevchenko was dominating until she got finished. Um, Grosso was capable. Granted, she was taken down and she was controlled for moments. But Grosso Oh, when the fight was on, its when they were on their feet, Grosso was winning the fight. Yeah, she was. And that's the thing is that Valentina Shevchenko needed takedown. She needed top position. This is why I picked her, right? Is because I thought that that would be for her all the time. I, I talked about how Alexa Grosso has the skills to do well on the feet. Um, although I was concerned about Valentina Shevchenko's kicking game, which only kind of showed itself little bits here and there. But man, Shevchenko got top position. She got dominant position at several moments throughout that second and third round. So we see the openings for a, a, an elite grappler against Alexa Grosso, and we could talk about some of the contenders coming up. But in the meantime, we're probably going into a trilogy. If Valentina Shevchenko can win that second fight, we're going to a third. So this 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 matchup might lock up this division for the next year, which is unfortunate. Um, but in all likelihood, in my opinion, Alexa Grosso is probably going to beat her in a rematch. Aaron Bladesfield's 23. It's not the she worst thing in the world. That's fair. No, that's very fair. She has time. And, and so does Tatiana Suarez. Oh, actually, Suarez wants to, I think, compete at 115. But I think given this situation, Suarez is going to be happy to get another win at 125 and then fight Alexa Grasso. It's just she had some trouble with the size uh, of her opponent in her last matchup. So I tend to think she's going to ideally want to go down to 115. And then outside of that, man, Shafkat Rachmanov got the test that we were hoping he would get against Joff Neal. I talked about how Joff Neal is a way better fighter to be like a plus 360, four, plus 400 underdog to Shafkat Rachmanov. Um, although on paper, I, I will choose Rachmanov in that matchup. And man, that it turned out to be super competitive, a back and forth war. Joff Neal landed some absolute bombs. Shafkat showed perseverance. He showed uh, conditioning. He showed the fact that he could stay calm through really, really difficult moments. And he showed a great chin man. Finished he also him. showed he's a little bit crazy. He yes. fought for two minutes without a mouthpiece. You're not kidding. And, and he's he like complain. smiling he's as his teeth it. are bleeding. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, he's he's a madman, but you got to be a madman if you're going to be at this level of mixed martial arts and do well. You got to have a decent level of crazy in you. I don't know that Joff Neal has it. Although Joff Neal clearly is an extremely tough man, clearly just refused to go away. He was in the right mindset going into this. Oh, he, he's terrific. He's just, but he's a boxer. Yeah, pretty. You're right. Predominantly a boxer. Yeah. That, that is a fair point that Shafkat didn't have to deal with 100 weapons, right? He just, Joff Neal is a lot like Kelvin Gastelum, except that he's more dangerous, hits harder, probably a little faster than Gastelum, and is the right size for this division, whereas Gastelum was undersized at 185. But Joff Neal, pretty basic, right? It's a, it's a jab cross from southpaw. That's really most of what you have to worry about. The left head kick. So it's basically the left kick and the left cross. And the only other strikes that he throws are setups for that left kick and left cross. So there's not a whole lot to worry about, but he's blazing fast and he's very powerful. And Shafkat, man, he, he wore it. But man, did he finish him late? He did not like he could have, you know, he could have coasted a bit. He didn't, man. He went for that finish and he got it. Really incredibly impressive stuff. Uh, and Joff so Neal is next for for Shafkat. I mean, I mean, I mean, we're talking about top of the division. Gilbert Burns, I think, is the right next matchup. What? Um, Wonder Boy. Um, Wonder Boy yeah. makes a lot of sense. Gilbert Burns, uh, although Wonder Boy, like, will he want to fight Shafkat after the way Shafkat uh, manhandled? Uh, Neil Magny on the floor. I don't know. Wonderboy's clearly trying to avoid, you know, any grapplers at this point in his career. I, I don't know that he's has any um, thoughts about a title, even though he might talk about it. I, I think realistically, he realizes that he can make some money and he can have some fun fights as long as he's fighting strikers. He's going to be all right. But Shafkat is, is just looked incredible. I think a Gilbert Burns matchup or, or Wonderboy. I think th those two are the spot on. Uh, you know, he's that 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 kind of former title challenger who's still near the top of the division to to show himself in that situation. Joff Neal, never a title challenger, never quite made it to that level. He's the kind of guy that would lose yeah. to the Gilbert Birds and the and the um, Stephen Thompsons of the world. So I got that would be the next level. I got a couple other ideas. I think Burns has a fight. I can, I, I, I think RDA uh, game bread. 
RDA, yeah, RDA right. makes. Uh, I mean, do we need uh, to do we need to see RDA in a, in another set of fight? Like, what, what about what about the winner of? I mean, there's a guy who's got the who's got um, a pretty good streak going on at the same weight class. Uh, who's Michelle Pahea, who in three weeks is fighting Sean Brady. The winner of the winning um, of Brady Pahea. I would say that's either on the same level of Joff, of Joff Neal or or a step below. So like if he wants to keep moving up, then the way to go is I think that that Burns. It, yeah, because Burns. I mean, I can't imagine Burns isn't going to beat. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's likely going to beat Gabriel. Yeah, I so. Yeah, and and it's and Burns is like he's willing to fight anybody. He fought comes out and he didn't have to, right? So he's the kind of guy that the UFC knows will say yes to it. So they're going to offer it to him in all likelihood. They want Shafkat to to come through and and end up being a contender, especially after this performance. Even though like I don't know how marketable marketable they see him as. Obviously, he's not he's not uh, comes out in his way of being able to not only speak English but tr- talk trash and and kind of gain your attention every moment he's on the mic. Uh, but man, is he an exciting exciting prospect? Seventeen and zero. Four fights in the UFC, all finishes. If I remember correctly, like every single one of his seventeen wins is a finish. This one came down to the wire with less than a minute left, and he still pulled off the finish. Man, the guy's incredible. Really, really impressive stuff. But he took a lot of damage in this one, and this could be this could be the kind of damage that could you know change a guy's career trajectory ever so slightly. So it's something to look out for. Then we have um, you. You touched on this a little bit earlier. Jalen Turner, Turner, Mateos Gamrot. We we knew that it was likely going to be basically damage versus control, and the judges have been lately leaning toward damage, but I think they didn't score those couple of knockdowns for Jalen Turner. I don't think they consider them to be actual knockdowns. I'm quickly going to look up the stats here to see whether or not uh, it was counted as a knockdown in, in UFC stats, but um, yeah, he, he got credit for one knockdown, which I assume was the one in the second round, which I thought was the legitimate one. The just, second, yeah, the, the first round it was too, it was hard to tell, I couldn't tell. Yeah, well, no, the, fir- the first, I'm sorry, the first round one is the one that I thought was a legitimate knockdown, it, like, as it was playing out. It's the latter knockdown that I wasn't as sure. It seemed like Gamrot... Uh, uh, I was the other way around. Yeah, you were the other way. Interesting. Yeah, it, it seemed like Gamrot was going for the takedown at that point. And here's the thing, right? Gamrot had two and a half minutes of control in the first round, but Jalen Turner landed four more strikes. Now, without that knockdown, you know, argument could still be made for Gamrot, but because of that knockdown, you got to give it to Jalen Turner. In the second round, Jalen Turner landed 18 out of 48 and Gamrot landed 13 out of 17. And we're talking about significant strikes specifically here because total strikes, Gamrot outlanded him 60 to 19, right? And Gamrot had a minute and a half of control in that one. In the third round, Gamrot had almost three minutes of control, and they landed a similar number of strikes. Uh, uh, Jalen Turner landed a few more. So I think I think the argument that Gamrot won rounds two and three is not unreasonable, but I also think to argue that Jalen Turner did more damage throughout this fight is not unreasonable either. If you look oh, he the, definitely he hurt him every time he touched him. He really yeah, it did it did feel that way. And and if you look at the scorecards, at least uh, uh, like Jalen Turner got he won every round on at least one of the judges' scorecards. In other words, obviously no no judge, uh, only one judge gave That surprises me because the third I didn't think was, I didn't think he had a chance at winning the third. Yeah, and one of the judges scored that third round for him, uh, which is which is fascinating stuff. But again, a super close fight. It could have gone to Jalen Turner. I probably, I probably preferred it if it had gone to Jalen, but I think Jalen's young enough. He has time. He can he can still make the most of this situation. He's only 27 years old, dude. Gamrot, I believe, if, if I'm not mistaken, is in his 30s. I'm quickly going to look at that. He's 32, right? So there's a five-year age difference. I, if Gamrot's going to make a run, it's now. If Jalen Turner's going to make a run, he has several years to do it. Gamrot's not going to make a run. He's too small for this division. I said it. I've said it after other fights. I think he should be at 145. I'm not as sure as you. I think when you're standing across from Jalen Turner, you're going to look small for 155. I'm not. It's so not sure just that. that. It's the way. It's the way he responds to strikes. Like he's like that. he's Frankie Edgar. Yeah, yeah. We get like. I hear that. 
It's not a, it's not a great sign that he's getting buzzed at this point. I hear that. Yeah. All good points, Nick. And then uh, Bo Nickel predictably ran through Jamie Pickett. Cody Garbrandt won a shitty decision over Trevin Jones. By the way, one Jones won, one Jones lost. I mean, you know, the argument could be made. Drakus Duplessis did what I thought that he would do. I thought that he would make it just a firefight and drown Derek Brunson. This is what he does every time. He's not the most technical. He's not the best. He's not always winning until he finishes. But he tends to drown people. He puts up the kind of pace and puts on the kind of damage and has the kind of strength where... Both he and his opponent get tired. The pro- the difference is that he's able to fight through tired and throw with just as much bluster, with just as much Second power. time. Second time around for Brunson, just like the Jared Cannonier fight. Yep. yep. Like, terrific first round. Almost put almost put Duplessis away. Almost did. Um, was not, he was not able to. And we saw, you know, when he came out for two, Brunson was done. Yep. And Duplessis, I know he's not technical, but he's 19-2. and two. He's got a win over Derek Brunson now. He's got a couple of decent wins. Let's give him a step up. Let's have him face somebody in that top five or six range. That's who he wants to face. He feels he's ready for it. He wants to go for the title. Give him the opportunity, man. Let's see if he could drown somebody over five rounds. Let's give him an elite uh, opponent. Um, and, and as far as like who in particular, do you have the, the rankings in front of you? Working on it. I'm, 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 I'm quickly. I'm, yeah, I, I got it. Oh man, you know it would be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Would be Strickland. I am absolutely all for that. I think that would be fantastic. That would be loads of fun. The only thing about Strickland is like, I don't know that he's consistently going to keep winning, but he's going to beat these up and comers and potentially eliminate title contenders before they truly become title contenders. But it is what it is, right? Like, like he the could be an thing, elite gatekeeper. The yeah. other thing you got going on is there's a fight in two weeks. That is a pair of absolute savages with incredible will to win. Marvin Vittori against Roman Delitz. And yeah. I think Vittori is the better fighter. I think Delitz is crazier, like slightly crazier. So, I'm like, that's that. a, I mean, that's a, that's going to, I think, oh, I wish that was a five round fight. In three rounds, that's going to be, it's going to be grueling. That's going to be a grueling bout. I, I think Duplessis against either of those guys is a war. Nick, that is the exact fight to make. I, I am in full, full support of that matchup. And then outside of that, Nick, we don't have to dive too deep, uh, too deep into this because we still have a card to break down. Man, he yeah, boss. But, just, but, I did, but I beat you. But I just let's just to be clear, you, I outpicked you. You, you. Did, you did. Well, I think overall picks, I, I had more correct picks as far as just like us picking who the winner would be. But you did, you did? You, you did beat mm. me by a point uh, in this one. And the one fight that you, that you were right about that I was wrong about was Viviana Rujo versus Amanda Hibas. Amanda Hibas just put it on a Rujo who's 35 and, you know, doesn't have the cardio, doesn't have the, the uh, like, you know, once she's on her back, she seems to be stuck there. It's hard to get her there, but once she's there, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it all kind of She knocked down. her around too, though. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. She showed, like, why she's strong early, but the conditioning can keep closer to <coughs> stay me. conditioned, unfortunately, and she's not a fighter who fights well through being tired. Mark andre Baru, Ian Gary, Cameron Simon. By the way, Simon looks really good. Oh, Ian legit. Gary gave it, gave me a real scare. Yeah, no joke in that first round, right? Tabitha Ricci uh, just smoked Jessica Penny, which I expected. I was very confident in her and placed a nice bet on her at those odds. I was thinking about putting a bet on her by decision. Luckily, I did not make that uh, make that specification. Um, and then uh, Farid Basharat looked good, and Luik Radzabov and Esteban Rib- uh, Ribovics had a really great fight. I, yeah. I look forward to seeing both of those guys compete. 
And then, Nick, let, let's shift our focus. I, just, uh-huh. I picked both of those fights, too, of course, being an expert on the undercard fighters, as usual. Yeah, p- picking, picking the big favorite. <laughs> it's, it's very impressive stuff, Nick. Picking by. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and you, you, didn't even, you didn't even know, like, forget pronouncing the guys' names. You didn't know who these people were, like, at all. You were like, that guy over that guy, because he's a favorite. Um, and, and I don't blame uh, you, by the way. Like, 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 some of these cards have a bunch of no names. This card, by the way, coming up, man, is a really good card, dude. Like, I'm really glad that... Like, we're done with this firestorm of shitty fights that the UFC was presenting to us for a while there. Let's dive into it, man. We've got UFC Fight Night, Jan versus Dvalashvili. This is this is really high-level stuff. Uh, the winner of this could end up fighting for the title, especially if rumors are true about champion Aljamain Sterling uh, after this next defense against Triple C, apparently is planning on moving up to 145. I don't know if a win or a loss would change that. Uh, I don't know if it depends on whether he wins or loses. Well- uh-huh. He's going to lose. So You think so, huh? Okay. Um, yeah. I, I certainly don't think it's that simple, but this is fascinating because if Marab, Marab comes out with a win here, Aljamain Sterling has the motivation to move up. If he doesn't, Sterling might just stick around. So, so I, I think there's implications for this division in many ways uh, based on the main event of this, of this fight. And then we have a bunch of really great fights. And quite frankly, even some of the fights uh, with a couple of no-names, there's some prospects that are worth looking at, some, some fights that are at least going to be exciting, right? There, there's no fights that we're going to omit on this one. There's 13 fights on the card, and we're going to dive into breaking it down. Nick, I have the first pick this week, and my first pick has to be in the matchup between Mario Batista and Guido Canetti. Yep. Guido Canetti, man, he, he has a lot of power, and he can get you out of there if you're not ready for, 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 for that, right? But And he gets really low-level guys out of there. But we're talking about a very different league here with, with, Mario, uh, with Mario Batista. I've, I've been looking at this guy since his UFC debut where he looked really good against Corey Sanhagen until he got caught in the armbar. He went on a two-fight win streak and then lost to Trevin Jones after dominating Trevin Jones, lost him uh, via knockout out of nowhere, and Trevin Jones made a habit of doing that early in his UFC career, and obviously after what happened this weekend, it doesn't look good, that loss in retrospect, but since then, he's got a few wins over some granted lower-level guys, Jay Perrin, Brian Kelleher, and Benito Lopez, not elite, but Guido Canetti is on that level or below. <laughs> Jay Perrin, obviously not an elite fighter, and it's disappointing that Mario Batista couldn't finish him, considering we've seen him get finished since then. But I like Batista here. I, I think uh, I assume that he's a decent-sized favorite, and, and I like him to clean up here and, and look good. Um, I'm hoping the step-up in competition that after this fight he's ready for, and I hope he does well. Yeah, I mean, this was going to be my first pick, so good on you. Oh. I was muted, sorry. No worries. Um, yeah, I was. This is gonna be my first pick, so good on you. I'm gonna do a Nick Braccia and go with a female fight. I'm gonna pick JJ uh, Aldridge over uh, the Queen of Violence, uh, Adriana Lipsky. I I just think that her only chance, um, her being um, Ariane Lipsky's uh, Ariani, I suppose is it Ariani's uh, Ariane Lipsky's. I believe it's Ariane. Ariane. Yeah, she's uh, she's so hot. Anyway, um, like, I do think that, you know, if if she ends up in top position, she can do some things. She's got okay submissions. Aldridge is too strong. She's too strong. She's too smart, and she hits too hard. I just don't see this fight going somewhere um, where Lipsy's going to have the advantage. And I also don't know that she can uh, that she can choke out someone. Uh, as canny as uh, as Aldridge, so I I see Aldridge, um, actually I see Aldridge like beating her up pretty bad on the feet. I don't know if she'll get a stoppage, but I think that the Queen of Violence's uh, gorgeous face will look slightly less gorgeous at the end of this contest. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, giving Aaron Blanchfield a hard time in that first round and beating her in that first round, you know, that, that says a lot about where J.J. Aldridge is, but we've seen her do that before, and then we've seen her su- kind of succumb to the pressure in the second and third round. So she tends to get tired, sh- to get tired she loses focus. Mm. But Ariane Lipsky's not the girl to take advantage of that. Yeah, I, I think she's not, you're right. She's not, she's not a bully. She's not powerful. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't think she's going to wear Aldridge down. I think, she, I think she's going to wear a lot of damage because Aldridge hits hard. Yeah, I, I, t- I tend to think you're right, and, and I tend to think that Ariane Lipsky is not going to do too well after a bad first round. She's not going to like come back and have a great moment in the second and third, so I, I'm there with you. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Austin Lingo and Ricardo Ramos. Austin Lingo's 9-1, right? On paper, it looks like an impressive record, but you know, on the LFA scene, which is not a bad scene to come up, but he doesn't have, like, he hits hard, he's decent standing, but he doesn't have the overall game, the overall experience. He's not dangerous everywhere in the way that Ricardo Ramos is. And Ramos will lose to, like, a fringe top 15 guy here and there, although he'll get a win occasionally there as well. But he's not going to lose to Austin Lingo in all likelihood, I guess, unless Austin Lingo, after a couple-year layoff, has just leagued up in a couple of different ways, unless he's way better than he was and suddenly is just clocking fools and killing them and avoiding all takedowns. There's also the chance that Austin Lingo is a pressure fight. He's going to run into that spinning back elbow. Ricardo Ramos is an expert at landing it. I like Ricardo Ramos here, likely by submission, possibly after buzzing Austin Lingo on the feet. Cool. Let me make a note of that. Ramos for Stan. Uh, all right. I'm going to... Do I do this? Is it stupid? Is it too early for it? Any of those things could be true. I'm going to go with an underdog pick here. Um, I'm actually... because. Well, let me see the odds to see exactly how many points I can get for this. It's just how much am I going to beat you by is the <laughs> question. Uh, plus 200. What is pl- plus 200 is just one point, right? Uh, two points. Plus 150 or above gets you two points. Uh, plus 250 okay. or above gets I'm, you three. Okay, I'm going to take Jonathan Martinez over Saeed Nurmagomedov for two points. Ah, tell me more. Um, well... <coughs> I think people sleep on Mar- on Martinez. Like I've always I've always liked him since the since he got beat by Davy Grant, where he took some big damage. Um, he's been he ha- he's won like a bunch of fights. I thought he only had one or two fights since then. I forgot he's been on like a four fight run, um, and he hurts people. He's a good striker. He doesn't get submitted, and I we've we've seen um, Saeed get you know he like Honey Basilos did pick him apart a bit. Um, and I think Jonathan Martinez has the skill and ability to do that, and I think he may be a little bit faster than a Barcelos at, at this point. So I'm, I've always been a Martinez fan. I think the odds should be a lot closer here. If, it, if everything was even, I may pick Nurmagomedov, but I'm going to look for the two points here. Because I don't think that uh, Saeed's game is as tight, and I think he's, I think the odds makers tread off of his last name more than they should. I think you're right about Saeed Nurmagomedov's last name, um, and he's shown some holes. And honestly, he was losing that fight to Saeed Yakub Kakramanov in his last matchup until he got him with the gate team. But that's the thing is he was consistently dangerous throughout that fight. Peace up Douglas De Silva de Andrade beat Cody Stamen. Cody Stamen, he ran through him. Who runs through Cody Stamen, man? Nobody does, but you're right. He's looked human. He lost to Rahani Barcelos. We've seen him We've seen him have bad rounds in the past. Um, and Jonathan Martinez is dangerous and crafty as he is standing, and he really is. He has so many tactics there to set up some big strikes that don't even look that big, but they regularly hurt guys. He's not much of a finisher, I would say, is, is the downside for him, even though we've seen him finish guys like Cup Swanson and Frankie Signs in their 50s. Um, and say, no, we're not, 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 we're not
really funny. Um, Saeed Saeed is is a young guy. He's gonna be he's gonna be. I think uh, he's either the same height or a little bit taller in this matchup. I, I just feel like Saeed um, he can do okay standing because he, he himself has good distant kicks and he could possibly keep it at that range. More importantly though, he's got the ground game advantage, and I think that he's he if he's able to get top position, which which is enough because Martinez has shown some pretty good takedown defense. If he gets top position. I tend to think that he's going to do well there. And if Cope Swanson was able to take Martinez down, if uh, Frankie Sainz back in the day was able to take him down, I'm assuming that Saeed is going to be able to score enough. And this might end up being a, a competitive back-and-forth fight. I don't think it'll be a blowout by any means, but um, I, I tend to think that Saeed is going to get it done. And Martinez, just like in the long haul of the fight, he just tends to almost lose focus. He allows moments to sneak in for his opponent that are fairly big at times, unless it's an opponent that's under experience. So, uh, no, I know, but three, so I've got, if I get this, if I get this, it's a three pointer. Is it really? What are the odds? Well, to 200. You said no, 150 is one point. Oh, no, it's, okay. Plus 150 is two. Oh, it is two points. No, he, he's, plus, he's plus 200. Above. Yeah, plus oh, 250 plus or above you need for three points. But you do get okay. two points if, if Jonathan Martinez wins this one. So I see where you're coming okay. from. I, I do disagree with the pick. My next pick is going to be, and uh, for me, this is where really all of these fights get quite a bit tougher to pick. Um, I think that I'm going to give... I think I, I think I might just take Bruno Silva to beat Tyson Nam. This was like further down my list, but for some reason I'm more confident in this one than I am in several others. Uh, I just feel like Bruno Silva has the ground game. He's shown perseverance. He's shown that he can survive through tough moments of getting rocked. Tyson Nam has power, but the level of competition that he's beating is low level. And when he does get a win, even against some of the mid-level competition, it tends to be like a comeback knockout because his output is so low. And he's coming into this like on the wrong side of 35, right? He's... He's at 125 pounds, which is not a division in which you want to be up in those mid to high 30s. So I like Bruno Silva to 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 edge out a competitive fight here. Yeah, I think you're I think you're probably right. I mean, Tyson Nam could land a bomb, but yeah. I think you're. Uh, I like Bruno. I like both of these guys, uh, but um, I like the upside still on Silva. I'm gonna go with a guy who I didn't think. Um, he didn't fight great in his last fight against Rafael Asuncao, but Asuncao looked looked good. I just think that um, Victor Henry is very disciplined, a good and a really good striker, and I I think that he should be able to deal with the threats posed by by Tony Gravely. I think Victor Henry is one of those sleeper guys who um, you know is better. People didn't know about you know the fighting he was doing outside of the country, and. Uh, you know, I think people sleep on him a bit. I don't think he's going to be a world beater, but I do think that Victor Henry, um, who did who did beat you know Hani Barcelos, um, should be able to handle Tony Gravely. Yeah, I, I, I'm there with you. I, I got to give him the edge. Tony Gravely like tends to get tired over the course of a fight. He has good wrestling, has power in his hands, but the fact that he gets tired, the fact that Victor Henry should on paper be the more busy, the faster guy throughout the fight. He should be the more consistent damage landing. Uh, guy in this matchup, and I think his takedown defense should be good enough to stay on the feet for the most part. I, I, I agree with you. I think this is a good pick and probably the right time to make it. My next pick is going to be in the Nikita Krylov-Ryan Span matchup. Um, so I, I initially gave the edge to Nikita Krylov in a five-round <coughs> fight in their main event a couple of weeks ago. Nikita Krylov was very sick, so sick that the commission told him he cannot fight. So sick that he actually went to the commission and said, I feel like shit, what can we do? Um, and then two weeks later, here we are, and he's, he's fighting Ryan Spann in a three-rounder. I don't like that look, especially especially, given the fact that Ryan Spann on two sportsbooks is a plus 150 underdog or above. Bet 365, Nick, as well as uh, CloudBet. 
have him at plus 150 and plus 151 respectively. I got to take Ryan's pan for mostly for that reason. Uh, they say, you know, they, there's talk about him, the fact that he's now taking his career seriously, the fact that he is now training and actually going to training camp uh, versus not having done that in the past. He's not super durable. He can get clocked and he can get caught clean, right? And, and we know that he's the less durable guy in this matchup. But the fact that he has serious power, the fact that he's shown the ability to finish lately, the fact that this has come down from a five-rounder to a three-rounder, which I think gives him a little bit more of an opportunity. The fact that um, the fact that his opponent was really sick just two weeks ago, and I don't know, when did he recover? Like a week ago, like eight to six days ago, and, and he's just barely coming back into his own. Was he able to do any real conditioning? Granted, you don't just lose your conditioning, to be fair. Um, for that reason, I'm going with Span, but, but I'm probably going to regret Second this. weight cut, you know, another weight cut. That, that's true, for presumably for both guys, both guys right? Because both yep. guys made... For both guys, but yeah. for the guy that got sick, if he, I mean, if he, I mean, he, he made his, but he did his cut. He made weight, so yeah, uh, no, no, that's true. He made weight, and then everything fell apart. And I don't know if that was weight cut related or not. But you're right that if it was weight cut related, this is another situation in which he has to make weight. Look, this fight might not happen. Maybe Nikita Krylov is not fully recovered. But um, I got to take him for two points because you know this is barely a plus one fifty, and I think it's a good deal. Uh, even though I'd probably give Nikita Krylov the edge in every other circumstance, if all odds being the same. If I, I didn't know that he was sick two weeks ago, sometimes I give these kind of uh, peripheral variables too much. Peripheral variables, excuse me, too much credit. Maybe this is that situation, but I'm going to go for two points. What's your next one? Man, I'm pissed because I had that pick, uh, the original pick, uh, on the card a couple weeks ago. Was it two points um, back then? I don't think it was, actually. Yeah. I could be wrong. Oh, was it really? Okay. Yeah, it was. Um, oh, boy. All right. Yeah, shit's hard now. Um, let me look at these odds. Sorry, this is... A moment you can edit out of said man. Nobody's editing anything was, out, Nick. All of this is. I going wish in. this was. I wish this was a two pointer, but it's not. It should be. Um, I'm gonna take. Uh, I'm gonna take Rafael Sunsau over Davy Grant. Yeah. Sunsau's an underdog. I don't think he should be. I think he's got too many tools. I think his wrestling, his grappling are are still really strong. And his striking defense is good. He's had he's had some you know some lapses, but he looked really he looked refreshed and rebuilt and recommitted against Victor Henry, and still uh, he looked to me like a strong gatekeeper. Like yeah, he got floored by by Cody, but I don't know. He looked like he put it back together and like a guy that wanted to be in the cage. Even though we've been watching this fellow do it since WBC was on versus. I like I'm not just picking the older guy because I know him. I've seen plenty of Davy Grant. I just really liked the way his sunset looked against Victor Henry. Yeah, I mean, David Grant gave up only two takedowns in the last five years, and those takedowns were to Marlon Vera, which is kind of concerning because Marlon Vera's wrestling is not a strong suit. Um, and I would think Sun Tzu, that should be a part of his game plan. But Sun Tzu's fast as hell. Sun Tzu is sharp, right? His chin is starting to go. He's starting to be a little bit slower than he used to be. Um, he's he's a step behind when it comes to decision making at times. It seems like, but it's still good enough to beat a lot of these guys. I don't blame me for making this pick. I ended up edging ever so slightly David Grant because I think he can potentially land a bomb, right? He's not the kind of guy to that's, go away. That's the thing. Is Sun Tzu just has to. Sorry to interrupt no, you. No, he, he just he he just has to avoid the bomb, yeah. and he couldn't. He didn't do that against Cody, but he kind of got cornered, and I think he was a little in his head. Maybe I don't know. And Cody's got. Um, I do think Cody probably has more power than Davy Grant. Um, 
but yeah, it's not something we've seen a lot. We haven't seen a Sunsau, you know. Um, I guess Dillashaw hit him a little bit. So yeah, his his chin's not this not the sturdiest, but I don't look think of Grant as having. You tell me if I'm if I'm misremembering here. Yeah, is having that kind. Of, he doesn't have Dillashaw Garbrand speed. Definitely not, but he throws everything with full power, and he's got these weird angled, rangy strikes, these punches that you don't expect to come from the angles they come from because it's not the most technical, but it tends to be pretty effective. Now, Sensei's going to be the sharper, the cleaner striker. Don't get me wrong, but Sensei's also, like, toward the latter half of his career, he's got way more power than he used to have. He used to be more of a pitter-patter guy, and now he's, like, landing bombs on guys. Sometimes drops them, sometimes doesn't, but it just seems like real impact now. So I think... Overall, skill-wise, the Sun has got the edge, um, and, and you're probably right on this pick, and, and it's just like super, super close, and it was at the bottom of my list for that reason, unless there was a two-point opportunity one way or the other. My next pick is going to be... Yeah, all, all the rest of these look like difficult picks to make for me. I think I'm going to take... I'm going to take Piotr Jan to beat Mirab Devashvili. The main event, I, I know I kind of dove right into the pick there rather than breaking it down first. And here's the thing, Marab, he is relentless. He, he has seemingly limitless conditioning to score, you know, an average of over seven takedowns per fight, which is uncanny. Like, that's unheard of. Who can average that, right? It's one thing to do that once in a while. He can consistently get a bunch of takedowns. Part of the reason he gets seven takedowns per three-round fight is because people get up and he's not able to control them. And every time, presumably, that every time that Piotr Jan gets up, he's going to do damage. Five-round experience Piotr Jan has in spades. Piotr Jan looks really good late in a fight, whereas Marab tends to rely on guys who tire out a little bit, right? His biggest wins are over guys who look pretty decent early and then ended up tiring out over the course of the fight. That's not going to be the case with Piotr Jan, who even uh, against uh, Marab Devashvili's proverbial big brother in, uh, in, in the champion, Aljamain Sterling, right? He looked dominant in those last couple of rounds, even in the fight that he lost. So for that reason, I, I got to give the edge to Piotr. I think he's going to do more damage over the course of the fight. The records are very similar, 16-4, 15-4, Piotr Jan being on a little bit of a dip in his career, coming off of two straight losses. The Aljamain Sterling loss, very competitive. I edged it for Sterling. Some people thought Jan maybe deserved it. Sean O'Malley lost. A lot of people thought that uh, that that Yan deserved it, but to be fair, he took more damage in that fight. And he got he he took more strikes than did O'Malley in that fight. If you if you look at the numbers, so it's not an unreasonable conclusion to come to that he lost that fight. So technically, he is one and three in his last four fights. But you can make the argument that he's four and zero or three and one in in those fights, right? So so that can be a little bit deceiving. But I can see that also messing with his head. He's a guy that you know, is supremely confident generally and kind of relies on that confidence. Will he be as confident going into this? Or is he just really peeved because of the, you know, what he thinks is a screw job decision in his last matchup and probably in his last two matchups, right? He's the kind of guy that, that won't relent and won't admit to himself that he lost a, a close fight. Uh, and and he did lose those two, like, technically speaking. He's got two L's on his record. Three L's in his last four, like I said. Um, I just feel like Devashvili, who trains in Vegas now, which is a good sign, right? He's getting the, the UFC PI treatment. He's getting extreme couture training partners, which is great because they get they get guys from all over the world coming in throughout the time, even besides the regulars that they have there. Trains with Aljamain Sterling, who's the best guy in the world at this weight division. Aljamain Sterling, who has two fights against Piotr Jan. So the experience factor against like team versus team is there. He's got a lot of intel from Sterling, presumably, as to what would work, what wouldn't work. But because Sterling is an he is excellent at keeping people down in dominant position when he takes them down, and Devalishvili is not. Devalishvili gets a bunch of takedowns doesn't hold up. He's not able to hold guys down. And for him to rely on Jose Aldo uh, and to rely on uh, on Marlon Marais to get exhausted over the course of the fight, that's not really going to happen here. 
Um, you know, th this is not the John Dotson or Cody Stamen that he's fighting. He's Piotr Yan. Now, I know that there's a two-point opportunity on the Balshvili, and that's something to consider. But if it was a three-point opportunity, I would have taken it at two points. I think I've got to stick with Piotr Yan. I'm going to give him the edge, realizing that this could be a close fight that could go either way. And it'll probably be debates about what's, you know, wh who the winner of this is. But if Piotr Yan loses this fight, then this is a huge, huge downturn in his career. And we're talking about him from going uh, toward being the best 135-pounder in history to now just being, like, being 1-5. and five, Or it would make it 1-4 and four in his last five fights. Yeah, it's, it's, a, a, it's, a, it's a much more competitive Weidman-like slide. Yeah, um, yeah. But, um, so let's crank because we've got limited, limited time here. Just quickly, Nick, uh, do you agree with that pick or no? Oof. It's tough because I can see Devashvili squeaking by three rounds and surviving without giving up a ten eight. Yeah, I could see like at the at the two pointer, I might have taken Devashvili, but I but I think Jan, you know Jan is rightfully the favorite. But I see a path to victory here, um, and, and the potential for Jan's bad luck to continue. Yeah, I mean, just real quick, um, Jan could also just hold him against that fence. There's a chance he could pull that off. But Jan has been hurt. Wait, Jan times. can hold him sorry, against I'm the sorry, fence? I'm sorry, the other way. Valshvili yeah. can hold Jan against yeah, that that's, fence. Yeah, that's what I mean. rounds that way. But he's been dropped that's and knocked down a few times in his UFC career, and he's facing one of the hardest hitters in the history of this division. So, so that, that's he is, he is facing a hard hitter, but but a guy who whose hard hits um, you know, come in the pocket not like... It's, he's not like a Marlon Moraes Blitzkrieger. Um... No, no, but, no, that's true. He tends to get you by making you move backwards. And Valsfili, again, his striking has improved a lot. It's not like he won't be competitive there, right? He's good there. He just doesn't have. Yeah, the I mean, he works with Ray Long with Ray Longo. Um, yeah, and, and less so, so Ray Longo nowadays. They're more in Vegas than anything else. But but still, Ray oh, Longo really? is still kind of yeah, oh yeah. Him and okay. Sterling have been in Vegas pretty regularly over the last couple of years. Okay, I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna pick uh, Carl Williams over Rukshaj Brishki. This is an example of Nick picking the favorite and being an idiot, like our our critics say. Uh, I actually look. I think Bresky looked really good in his UFC debut. He arguably won that fight, and it was a very very close one against another heavyweight prospect. He looked fast. He's a smaller heavyweight. Carl Williams should be at two hundred five, but. He has decent hands. He needs to develop there. Don't get me wrong, but he's got good wrestling. He's patient and focused. He's tall. He's athletic. He trains with American top team Lima in Georgia. Um, took a contender series fight on Nande's notice, Nick, um, against a heavyweight Penn State wrestler who was a multi-time Jersey, uh, Jersey champion in high school, and he out-wrestled the guy and just dominated him. This is a guy that trained with, uh, with AKA for, for bits of time at least, and it was fascinating to hear Cormier call that fight knowing this guy, knowing how good of a wrestler he is as he gets dominated in the wrestling department. But I agree with you about Carl Williams, but Lucas Breski is, is no joke. He's, he's a real legit prospect. It's a shame these guys are facing each other at this point in their careers because I think both have real potential. My next pick is going to be Cedricus Dumas to beat Josh Fremd. Both guys are strikers. Uh, Dumas has just shown like real, you know, he's got a bunch of amateur experience. He's got, he's 7-0 as a pro, really hard hitter with every limb. Uh, can be taken down, but reverses, ends up in top position. Can be hittable, but I think Josh Fremd doesn't have enough firepower, even though he has a really good jab. Should be a fun one to watch, by the way. Uh, okay, what do we have left here? We just have uh, actually just the, the last pick, and then we can quickly give our picks on the on the final fight, Nick. We've got Alexander Volkov, Alexander Romanov, and uh, Vitor Petrino oh, versus Anton Turjak. Oh boy. Close fight. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take Romanov. I just gotta believe he's able to get top position at some point. I reserve my right to change my mind. 
Yeah, I don't blame me for reserving your rights to change your mind. I, I'm edging Romanov ever so slightly. I think he'll win enough of the first two rounds to edge a decision. This is not an elevation where he suffered last time and got more tired. Romanov seems to have a cardio issue. And if this was a five-rounder, I'd pick Volkov all day, no doubts about it. But because this is a three-rounder, I, I tend to think Romanov can get enough takedowns in the first half of the fight. Volkov hits harder than ever. He's bigger than ever. He he might just big brother him a little bit, which would be interesting. I'm, I'm fascinated by this matchup. Not a bad pick on, on your part, though. It's a hard one to make. And then we got uh, Vitor Petrino versus Anton Tukaj. I think this one could be competitive. Petrino's a really explosive, good striker. Anton's a really good wrestler, a uh, really good grappler. He he trains with the all-stars in Sweden with, with guys like Kamzat Chimaev. Uh, I'm going to give... The slight edge maybe to Turkaj because he has the grappling and he's been in the UFC before. It's kind of it's kind of amazing that that Volkov coming off of that really cool um, KO of um, of Rosenstrike is getting a guy coming off of a loss, but I guess there's limited options in heavyweight. Yeah, yeah, there really is, and and, and I do think like they should have given Romanov if they see still see him as a prospect, they should have given him somebody a little more beatable. But I think they're putting him in the fire and, and letting and seeing if he drowns or or stays afloat. And I think that is totally fair, Nick. That'll do it for this card. I am looking a little more beatable, to- like C- like Cyril Gone. Okay, like, yes, like that'll Cyril do. Gone. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. It's heavyweight, man. Everybody's got major holes. Uh, that'll do it for this one, man. Looking forward to connecting with you next week. I'm looking forward to seeing if you tighten it up more or if I can get the edge in you on this one. This has been way more competitive than I'm comfortable with. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm, I'm going to – I just want to keep picking on you. I feel pretty good about my picks. Uh, we'll see if I stick with them, but I'm taking you down, man. I'm coming for you three weeks in a row. Looking forward to it, bud.